This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Assistant Director here at the Hendricks Center. And today we're going to be talking about parenting in a broken world. And we're joined by Karis Kimmel-Murray and Joy Ching. Karis is uh, the creative director of Family Matters, of Family Matters, or is that correct, Karis? Grace-based families. Grace-based families. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. We, that well, we, we are previously known as Family Matters, so both of those. Okay, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. It must have been in a bio somewhere. And she's also a radio segment co-host and an author of Grace-Based Parent, uh, Grace-Based Discipline. And Karis, it's so nice to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Joy is the program director of Far East Broadcasting Company, Chinese Ministries, and is the director of their newly developed family ministry training center. And we are so thrilled to have you as well, Joy. It's my honor. Thank you, Kimberly. And thank you, Karis. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely. All right. So we'd like to take just a little bit to get to know you all a bit better. So I, the question for both of you, and Joy, we'll start with you, is how did you end up largely working with parents and families kind of in your ministries? How did you end up in this conversation? Okay. Well, it's a long story, but long story short, I was um, 23 years ago, I was uh, studying at uh, Regent College as an MDiv student, and I was a youth pastor. And um, I found out like most of my youth problems has something to do with their families, their parents. Hmm. And then at that time, I just feel like God has called me to do this ministry. I realized if I don't work with their parents, I can never solve the problem, the root of their problems. And at that time, starting from that point, I have the burden to do family ministry even before I got married, (laughs) before Hmm. I became a mom. So since then, for the past uh, 23 years, God has been equipping me through my ministry and my own family life. And it's just such a wonderful journey to grow together with my ministry. That's how I end up to be here, you know, um, as a full-time mother, homeschool mother, full-time wife, full-time minister. It's just uh, amazing to see how we can truly live out our faith in our daily life. That's fascinating, especially that you got to it from working with kids and teens and you and you said, oh, you know, something needs to happen in the church with regard to this. (laughs) So, Karis, what about you? How did you end up in family ministries? Well, I love Joy's story because my story actually traces its roots back to youth ministry as well. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. So we have. Wow. Well, we sort of have that in common. So. Uh, Family Matters, formerly Family Matters, now Grace-Based Families, was founded by my parents, Dr. Tim Kimmel and my mom, Darcy. 
um, about 40 years ago, but they were, um, they were led and inspired to start the ministry because my dad was a youth pastor. He, he started in youth ministry and then he became uh, kind of an itinerant preacher with Dawson McAllister's ministry. This is going way back. And so they would do youth camps and things like that. And he had a similar experience that so many of the kids that had had these these struggles and these troubles obviously them meeting jesus was the most important thing mm-hmm. but he realized that that he only had them for an hour a week you know at church or two hours a week for youth group and and sunday service but they were with their families all the rest of that time and so he realized if he could better minister to their parents and to their families and work with them to to create a more grace-based home, a home that treats its its family members and its kids the way that God treats us, because God is the ultimate father, Um, then it could go a long way to really mitigating a lot of the struggles that these teens were having. Because at that point, it's crisis management. What he wanted to Mm do was kind of go back to the root. Um, And so I love... Joy's story because it's so similar. And so then, you know, I grew up as um, some of the fruit of that ministry. Our family uh, lived out the way that, uh, you know, we taught other people. I mean, so a grace-based home was the type of home that I grew up in. It's the way that I was parented. My dad wrote a book called Grace-Based Parenting that has um, has been a kind of a keystone parenting book in the Christian parenting movement. And um, I came to work full-time with the ministry about 12 years ago. And I saw a need to write uh, a follow-up book about how to discipline within a grace-based context. So mm-hmm. my book is called Grace-Based Discipline. Awesome. Fascinating. Yes, we actually, I think we we hosted your parents for, uh, here at DTS, we hosted them for a conference and then we also had them on a podcast. So yeah. if you're listening and you really like what Karis was just talking about, you can hear more <laughs> on <laughs> the podcast that features um, Darcy and Tim. So I... Howard Hendricks was my father's professor. So they were very close. And so our roots run deep with the DTS family. Uh, yeah. My brother attended cool. there as well. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't awesome. know that. That's fascinating. I'm I feel like every time I <laughs> I feel like every time I do um, a podcast, <laughs> I end up somebody being like, and then Howard Hendricks was this like <laughs> special person in our family's life. And I'm like, well, that's great. Yes, <laughs> our, like yeah, yeah, awesome. very much so. So today we're going to be talking about parenting in a broken world and specifically what we have in mind as we are um, approaching this conversation. And oh, for the record, uh, for anybody who's listening and thinking, okay, but parenting is more than um, women talking about this. We <laughs> actually tried to get a couple fathers and it just all fell through. So we might do a podcast about fathering in a broken world or something <laughs> later on, but we are, I do want to recognize that. But so as we're, as we're talking about parenting in a broken world, specifically what we have in mind is things that, um, just the reality that like life is really hard and it is super sad. Uh, mm-hmm. something, you know, that has been especially highlighted by all of the, um, societal and, uh, 
issues that have arisen in the last couple of years, as well as um, the pandemic and everything that we just faced with that. And, and there, so there's these realities of just life being really hard and really sad and how to be a parent um, and how to love your kids in the midst of that, especially when you yourself are maybe personally struggling um, yes. with a variety of things. And, and so I think that there's a common theme that will go all the way through our conversation today of yes. walking the line between protecting kids, our kids and equipping them for yes. life in the same broken world. <laughs> yes. So how do we shelter them? When do we know when to shelter them and mm -hmm. how do we do that? And then how do we let them see the hard, sad things as yes. well. And like, so that when they get to be, you know, cause we're just trying to create little Christ followers or at least, you know, yes. like responsible human beings <laughs> and <laughs> that they're, that they're equipped to handle life in such a hard environment. And so, so those are, I, I think, um, joy and care is just a warning. I think yes. your answers are going to be like, it's that like, it's a balancing <laughs> act, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I'd really love for us to explore that. So let's start off with societal issues. So um, in the last probably five years, we've seen major issues arise in our society by bringing things to light with regard to racism and sexism mm -hmm. and the intense political polarization that we've seen. How do we, I guess, so my first question for you all, and Karis, we'll start with you. How do we avoid the pitfalls in parenting that previous generations um, have fallen into? How, how do we avoid those with our kids, like as it relates to these issues? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I was raised in the 80s and 90s, which was a time of Christian parenting where there was a lot of good intention that I think, unfortunately, had some un, um, unintended consequences that were negative. Things like the purity movement, um, mm -hmm. uh, the courting movement, even the homeschool movement, which I think has changed tremendously over the last 15 or 20 years. Um, but what, if I could boil it down to one thing, it's that what we were doing was reacting to a culture around us that we saw as fallen, broken, um, sinful. And I'm not saying those things aren't true, but we were reacting. And, um, and, and the unintended consequence of that is that I think it sent a message to, I mean, me, I, you know, I was a kid during that time and I grew up in a grace-based home that mitigated a lot of this. So hear me saying that I, I, I think that even though I was surrounded by this, I was insulated from it because of grace. Um, but what I see a lot from my generation is that what that reaction said is God isn't really as big as they say it is, as, he, as they say he is. He can't really do what they say he can do. We're not, you know, they're telling us not to be afraid, but everything around us looks like scared people reacting in fear to a world that's broken. And so because of that, I think we had a generation who, who went, look, you either believe in God or not, and you're not really acting 
like you really trust him. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's now who are called like the, you know, younger Gen X and the millennials have walked away from the church in droves. And I think why that happened, and obviously it's complicated, but it's simply because they, they went, look, I'm not seeing people living out a faith that, um, that is, is at peace in, in this world around us. Um, so I think that that's the biggest key. It was, it, we were doing reactive parenting back then. Mm. And it's, it's a trap that we can all still fall into now, unless we're intentional to be responsive instead. Um, so, so I think, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I think we're coming so- from what what would you say are is the difference between reactive and responsive well intention i think is okay. key, right and so when uh, you know obviously this is semantics but what i mean when i say reacting yeah. is you know something happens and you act on that you know without knowing what was coming without having any kind of plan for how to deal with what was coming and you simply react. And a lot of times when we, we react, we react with our emotions and things like fear. So something mm-hmm. scary happens. It, it, it's similar to like, let's say you had an emergency situation happen. Now, if you've never dealt with anything like that, if you've never thought through, what's my plan if someone were to, to fall unresponsive? Well, you've never learned CPR. You don't know, you know, that you should call 911 first. There's there's all sorts of things that need to happen in a in a response. But what happens if you are simply sort of flying by the seat of your pants as a parent and you don't have a plan is you react. You're scared. You might freeze. You might you might um, you know have a fight or flight response. And so but then responding, what I mean by that when I say it is is an intentional um, an intentional response to something that happens. So assuming our kids are going to misbehave, assuming that they're going to, that they're going to say things that are, are untrue or that they're going to lie to us, not letting that shock us, being prepared mm-hmm. to know that those things are going to happen. And when they do, being ready to respond and say, okay, what you just said was not true. We're always, we always tell the truth in our family. Let's work on this rather than being like, oh my gosh, I'm so hurt that he lied to me. I'm so sad. I'm angry, lashing out. So that, that's kind of the difference. And even um, assuming that they're going to encounter racism and sexism and having, and having built in the theological framework from the beginning of, you know, all people matter to God and are equal in his sight. And so we need to treat them as the, as thus, and, and as they grow, you know, you point out when that is not happening. Joy, what would you say about pitfalls? I totally aiming with what uh, Karis said about um, responsive parenting. It's more like, for me, it's more like awareness of the brokenness. Like we have to admit we are broken. Our children are broken. This world, is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, if we try to avoid this uh, re- reality, the fact, 
we're always trying to um, hide or, you know, live in a fear that, you know, oh God, I am afraid that my kids would be influenced by this world because you know, the world is evil and my kids are so innocent. This is not true because it's not even biblical because the true evilness comes out of our heart. Mm-hmm. So for parenting, I feel like we, we are more like prepare our kids um, to respond to their own sinful nature and find mm-hmm. the responsibility to, um, to change the world in a way that they are not better than any other people. It's because of grace. We could be called the children of God. And also we, we see that the world is, you know, corrupted, totally corrupted and beyond redemption. There's only, um, the, the only way is to, you know, find in the name of Jesus, we could find this redemption. So I feel like parenting um, for me, like I'm a fifth Christian generation. I was born and raised in China, an, an atheist country. And it was like even worse, so much worse. But in a way, you know, I feel like I'm special in a way, not because I'm behaving, uh, behaving better than my, my, you know, my, my classmates or my friends. It's only because of Jesus' salvation. Mm-hmm. And through this, I also see my mission. Like my parents taught me, you're different because you're called by God. You're a child of God. That's your first identity. And you're living in a corrupted world. How can you see your own responsibility in this world? And then I just have that sense of mission when I was even a little child. You know? And then so whenever I see the corrupted, like the, the um, horrible situation in the, in the outside world, I'm not like, shock like what Karis just responded you know oh my goodness how could this happen you know we are we're so innocent and how could this happen to me all this we know of course this is happening there's nothing new under the sun it's what happened in you know in the bible and how we can respond is more like um i need to find out god what can i do what do you want me to do and we are helping our kids to find out their response to God's calling. You know, what, what can I do uh, about my own problem, my own brokenness? And what can I do to help the world, this broken world, to find a better solution for their own brokenness? Hmm. Yeah. And so we, and, and you know, to Karis's point, uh, as you were saying, assuming <laughs> that the world is going to be broken, you know, and then going from there intentionally rather than, than the reactive. I, I think, you know, what you all are saying is definitely working with, working with each other. Um, so as it relates to specifically death and illness that we face in, in the world, how, and we've gotten a crash course in, on this <laughs> in, during covid how, what best practices, I guess, is, is how to ask that. Um, what be- best practices have you all seen and heard related to talking with kids about disease and illness and even their own mortality? What all have you seen um, that has worked well and that you, you've looked at and you're like, man, that's a really great way to go about that. Joy, let's start with you. Okay. Um, well, I would start with for like how our family deal with COVID because we live in a DTS dorm, Swiss Tower, 
And at that time, we were we feel like it's such a huge change because uh, social distancing really has impact on us because we cannot even go out in the courtyard to play. And we live in that apartment. If we close the door, it's pretty much like a prison. Mm-hmm. And then my kids, they of course they need to ask, you know, why all this happened? You know, so many people are dying. And it's a great chance to talk about death and the consequence of sin and um, the suffering of the world. A lot of times we have to admit that we don't have answer. But of course we can, you know, trace back to Genesis third, chapter third and find all the original answer. But a lot of times it's not that simple. So we have to admit that kids, I don't know. But all this, you know, we can see, uh, don't always try to ask question why. Because not in every problem we have answer, but we can mm-hmm. always ask God, what can we do? So we deal with it with like, um, I ask my kids, hey, now so many people are dying. So many people are afraid. What can we do? I remember in COVID-19, like we, uh, it's the shouting place happened in Easter time. So we just did, um, we collect all of the, like a lot of rocks and we do like Jesus alive and hope and mm-hmm. a lot of fun, live it to our neighborhood every door. I help my kids to just do the huge project with me and just kind of find our way to help other people. And we also um, make, we're making masks, masks for our um, neighbors because at that time it was hard to find a mask. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we find out the way to positively and um, proactively to respond to work suffering instead of sit there, you know, self-pity and asking why, why, why Mm. we ask, what can we do? Lord, what you want me to do in this kind of situation. And remember my son, uh, he has his own studio. He teaches piano and violin to other DTS students, kids. And then he said, mom, you know, I see so many people organization to give out free lessons to people. And I am going to offer my students free lessons. So he did three months free lessons to his uh, Mm. small kids. And I was so proud of him. I said, yes, that's how God wants us to respond to work suffering. This broken world is a reality, but we cannot um, live in fear and feelings. We have to live in fact because it is broken. It was broken and it will be broken until the day (laughs) Jesus comes back. And um, a good parenting is always to lead our kids to ask the right question and to find the right answer and find the right solution. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcasts on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Karis, how do you um, talk with 
people about how to help kids embrace their mortality kind of in a more general sense? Well, I I think a lot of the answer to that question depends on the age of the kids. But this is this is one of those things that I see as an ongoing conversation we have Mm -hmm. with our kids similar to talking to our kids about sex, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, a, we shouldn't wait a long time to do that. We, it should be a conversation that we have at an age appropriate level with them. And it should be an ongoing conversation. And so kids at a very young age start to ask about death. Um, you know, maybe it's because a pet dies or because a grandparent dies or somebody who they know knows somebody who dies. And, and at a very young age, I personally think it's best to just give very straightforward answers mm-hmm. and things like, yeah, everybody is born and then they live on this earth and sometimes they get sick or sometimes they have an accident or sometimes they just get old and then our bodies die, but our souls live forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and kind of dividing that body and soul, helping them to understand what is eternal and what things are temporal, you know, what things have a beginning and end and what things never have an end. Um, and obviously kids are going to have questions about this and they may not fully understand it. And these are some of those conversations with especially little kids that can be so cute because mm-hmm. they you know, they, they kind of contemplate this. And so you might have a conversation with your younger kid where you talk about, you know, because somebody they know died and you say, they they died, their body died, but their soul is living forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously you want to talk about salvation. I think talking about hell with very, very young kids might be something that you are careful with, but you can talk about heaven and that when we give our, our heart to Jesus, we go to heaven. When we trust our heart to Jesus, we go to heaven because that's theologically accurate. We can introduce the hell piece as they get a little bit older mm-hmm. um, because it, 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 uh, it is hard for kids to process that. Um, mm-hmm. But we do want to be careful. We don't want to scare kids because they are going to kind of um, ruminate on this. So you might have a, a conversation and they tend to be conversations you have in passing. You're driving in the car or you're going for a walk and they ask you something and you answer. And then a couple of days later, they might bring up another question that they have about it. That's why I say it's just important to have, have this be ongoing. And it's a good opportunity for them to learn that they can come to you with any questions that they have mm-hmm. or concerns and that you're always willing to, to answer them or to say, I don't know, that's a great question. And I don't know. And maybe no one knows, you know, kind of this, why does it happen? Sometimes there isn't a reason why that we get to know right now. God knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then embracing their own mortality, it, it's, um, you know, the way that we are designed and wired by God, the younger you are, the less connected you are with your mortality. Yeah. <laughs> That's what right? I mean, that yeah. is built in by design. And as we age, we become more and more aware of it. So I wouldn't, I don't think parents need to stress out too much about that because that's really built into us. And your Mm four-year-old is probably going to talk very frankly and matter of factly, like about death, like Mm -hmm. grandma died. Mm -hmm. Now she's in heaven, Mm -hmm. you know, 
um, and their grief is going to look different. They're going to process grief different. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love what Joy said about, about, uh, you know, meeting a world that's suffering by, by first of all, compassion and just sort of staying in that suffering with people. I think, especially as Christians, we want to have a quick answer and we want to, we want to say, well, trust God, or I'll pray for you. Or, and obviously those things are true, but sometimes people just need us to feel their pain with them. And we know that that's what our savior Christ does with us, that he is in our pain with us and walking it alongside us. And he doesn't immediately try to pull us out of our pain. He stays in it with us um, and processes it. And so I think um, it's really easy to see sort of an us and them between us and the world. And while we are set apart in some ways, I, I try not to emphasize that too much with my kids because I want them to see everybody as equally loved by God, because that is true. And, and, um, a, a creation of God and who bear the Imago Dei, uh, the image of God. And so, um, in times of suffering, it's a great opportunity for them to share hope, um, and assurance of salvation. And then like Joyce said, find practical ways to meet needs. Um, it's very hard to talk about meeting spiritual needs with someone when they're hungry when they're sick, when they um, are in the middle of a mental health crisis that they just cannot um, break through. And so sometimes the most important thing that we can do in times of crisis like this is really meet physical needs uh, in ways. And, And I've seen that all around me with good people just looking around saying, how can I help? And I love that you did that with your kids and the story about your son teaching those lessons. I mean, that is what, what a blessing and a legacy. Yes. So in, in the spirit of (laughs) cute kid conversations, so we, we, you know, the poor little ones, they have a mom who is working on her PhD in theology and a pastor father. So we have like these conversations (laughs) often and about God and, and all of this. And, you know, so as we were, we have talked to them about the resurrection, you know, so like not only, you know, does your body die and, you know, you'll be with the Lord after you die, but, you know, eventually we'll be getting our bodies back, Mm -hmm. you know, for the eternal kingdom. And so, (laughs) so now my daughter, whenever, whenever she finds out anybody passed away, she's like, it's okay. She's like, they're going to get their bodies back if they believe in Jesus. (laughs) I love that. It's just so like, you know, and and I, as a parent almost want to be like, but honey, like it's, it's a bigger deal than that, you know, but then I'm like, but you know, like the faith of a child, like, well, maybe that's actually, I mean, obviously like we want to take people's lives seriously, but it was, it's just so funny. Like, well, it's not a big deal. Like they'll get their bodies back. It's fine. (laughs) Very sort of age and developmentally appropriate response. Yeah. And so parents who are listening or watching this, I don't want you to feel like you have to necessarily have these deep conversations mm-hmm. at, at a very young age. Kids are mm-hmm. going to process it the way that their brains are equipped. To process Amen. At the yeah. Time. Just do it naturally. Yeah. Right. I, like my, my father actually passed away during the COVID period, like all of a sudden he I'm just so passed away in his sleep. So it was totally out of expectation. And, um, and we were so far away from him. 
So it actually hit me so hard. Mm. And then my kids, they comforted me with mm. that eternal hope, with that, mm. um, just that peace in their hearts, just the, the, the way they respond, you know, they, because they put all their hearts and trust in eternity. Mm. And then I feel like that actually not easing my pain, but brought so much the profound peace to my heart. So I feel like parenting in the same way, it's our kids teaching us how to return to childlike, you know, that mm-hmm. faith and that journey, um, just let it flow that God cover us. Like I love Kara's faith, like grace-based parenting. At, at the same time, we, for us, we aware of this mission, like eternity. So we put grace and then mission ahead of us. And it's just mm-hmm. make everything complete. Yeah. Yeah. So with our remaining time, I'd like to turn our conversation to um, how to parent in the midst of having personal struggles. So what if you are doubting like your own faith or you're doubting the faith, um, how do you, you know, raise your child in a manner that isn't hypocritical, but, you know, is still trying to raise them in the Lord or, you know, if you have mental health issues, how do you engage with that? Um, You're struggling yourself and how much do you, again, protect them and how much do you equip them to handle it? So let's start with, let's start with doubt. How do you guide your child's faith in a genuine manner? um, Particularly if you are experiencing doubt or anger at God yourself. So whoever wants to hop on that first can. I think I would share one of my real testimony. Um, it, uh, for me, it's not like a, a doubt about God's, you know, presence and his like the um, existence. It's more doubting about if I could live out a life that is ple- pleasant in God's eyes. Like sometimes when my kids were young, I was like, um, I had this like anger management because I homeschool them and I serve full time and just like study. So I just got too much on my plate. And sometimes I just lost, I, I, I got lost. I lost my temper. I yelled at my kids. I remember my son was only three at that time. And there's once after I yelled at him, I just feel like totally broken. I just melt down. I um, sit on the floor of my kitchen. I have a heart, like high bar. Um, so mm-hmm. I was like hiding there, weeping crying to myself and just self-pity and said how come I will never be able to do this job lord just take my life you know just um totally uh disgusted by my own sinful nature reality and my son he was playing and he realized mom was missing and so he looked around the kitchen and walked to me he looked at me and said mom what happened and I just said son, you know, I'm so sorry. I just, I got lost. I just yelled at you again. I didn't want to do that, but I couldn't help. And Elijah just just said to me, mom, it's okay. We're all sinners. (laughs) And he reminded me of that reality. You know, we're all sinners and I'm not teaching my kids to be perfect. I'm teaching my kids that they need Jesus. And all I need to do is just modeling that, that, faith that that life of repentance to my kids in my whole life i would not be perfect but i'm walking 
together with my Lord. I'm repenting every day. And that's how I um, deal with my brokenness. Like I have to be honest, and, you know, I still sin sometimes even now, but it's okay. I'm showing my kids it's okay. Let's repent. Let's go back to the Lord. Let's start fresh mm-hmm. again because God's grace is fresh every morning. And that's, um, I think we, we, we will constantly deal with that until the day we face Jesus. So uh, I, I think when we admit that, uh, brokenness, when we can embrace that brokenness, realize that, yeah, that's why I need Jesus. And then all this, like the journey will become so easy that that's no wonder Jesus said, uh, my yoke is easy. My, my burden is light. Follow me. Right. And then we, we become so um, patient and great, uh, gracious to ourselves and to our kids and to people around us, because we know we would never be able to uh, save ourselves. <laughs> we'll never be able to be perfect. So um, that that was a breakthrough. Like I, I thank God for my children who taught me that lesson. You know, we're all sinners. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a really good like observation from your child. You know, but um, I'm not expecting you to be perfect. You tell me I don't have to be perfect. So yeah. you know, yeah. extending grace even to you, yeah. Terrace. What would you say about handling? doubt and anger and when you aren't sure where you are at with the Lord, how to navigate your children's Mm. faith journey? Well, I've been there, so I can speak from experience. Also with mental health issues, I struggle with ADHD. I mean, that's a lifelong thing for me and it's a blessing in some ways and a curse (laughs) Um, and from depression. And then I have members in my immediate family that, that suffer from, from some mental health issues. Um, But in terms of doubt, and so when you're doubting, um, Anne Lamott said, um, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Now, I'm not saying I would camp on that statement, but I like the way she phrased it because what I think she means by it is we see that we see this dichotomy between faith and doubt. But what if doubt is encompassed in faith? And what if if we if we never, you know, if we never doubt, if we just are certain and we just know it, are we examining that faith? And does it actually take faith to choose Christ, even in our doubt and our uncertainty? So that has, that has always sort of been a, um, a guiding principle. You know, that statement has been a guiding principle for me in how I approach my own faith. And ultimately, our kids are just watching how we live out our faith. You know, what we say with our mouth matters very little. Um, What we, how we live our lives matters the most. And when, when what we say with our mouth matters most is when it seems to be in direct opposition with how we're living our life, right? So if we're, if we're saying with our mouth, this, 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 but then we're living as though we believe the opposite, that really can drive a wedge between our child's hearts and God's heart. So in terms of doubt, I mean, I have teenagers now, so I should kind of say the ages of my kids. I I have an 18 year old and an almost 17 year old. So 
So we're at the phase now where we really do have deep conversations about this, but it's been a journey. And I have, I always advise parents first, live out your faith, expose your children to the gospel, bring them to church, bring them to Sunday school, uh, you know, have mentors in their life, but, but avoid the temptation to sit them down, give them the gospel and ask them if they want to accept Jesus into their hearts. Hmm. And the reason for that is that our kids want to please us. And what we want from what, what truly is the goal is a true transformation from the Holy spirit. And so allowing that to play out and what that is going to mean is that that might not happen on the timeline that we hope with them. It might not look the way we hope it looks. It may look like them walking through a lot of struggles and a lot of rebellion and a lot of doubt. Um, both of my daughters have given their hearts to the Lord and they've walked with Jesus, but they also have struggled with doubts and they've felt safe enough with my husband and I to share those doubts with us. And I remember one time, one of my daughters said, what if this is all there is? You know, like I know what we believe and I believe it, but sometimes I just at night I'm going to bed and I'm thinking, what if this is all there is? What if this life is all there is? And, and I said, I think about that too. I think about that too. And I know Jesus and I love Jesus and I, and I feel his presence and I see the evidence and I know the apologetics. (laughs) You can know all of that and still have this sneaking thought, what if this is all there is? So the way that I answered her, and I'm not saying that this is how everybody should be answered. I said, well, if this is all there is, then living for Jesus now is the best way to live out his kingdom on earth. If there is no heaven, if there is no hell, if there's nothing after this, if we just become consciousness and then our consciousness ends, well, what better way to live than with the hope of Jesus? And if this is all there is, then we won't know that there was nothing, <laughs> you know? And yeah. I don't, but, I mean, so to her, I, I do think it's okay to have those kind of deep conversations when they get a little older to say, if this is all there is, well, then let's, let's follow that, that path for a little bit. Mm-hmm. How would you want to live if this was all there was? You know, would you want to just serve yourself in your selfish interests? Maybe for a while, but we know people who live that way and it doesn't make you happy. Um, doesn't make them happy. And so how would you want to live if this life was the closest we'll ever get to heaven? And that really, I mean, it, it, it's something I've thought a lot about. And so it, it's kind of, I mean, theologically, it's that idea of this is the now and future kingdom, mm-hmm. right? The kingdom of God is now, is here on earth and it's into the future. And so how do we live with that kingdom mission? Like you said, joy yes. every day. And yes, me, it's by showing, you know, giving people what they desperately need, whether or not they deserve it. That's my definition of grace. Um, giving people what they desperately need, regardless of what they deserve. And that's what God did for us. And that's how we can approach our our marriages, our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors, and everybody around us, especially when they're hard to love. Yes. So if I'm hearing um, what you all are saying and kind of the heart of our conversation, I think it's that 
parenting in a broken world, um, especially Christian parenting in a broken world, the key is obviously age appropriateness, but really just exposing them to um, some of the tougher things in in a way that allows them to be equipped to see reality and to start to process it so that by the time they get to, you know, your, your children's age, Karis, the 17 and 18, they are able to really have a safe space to process really deep questions. And, um, and, and they know that like mom and dad are a good place for that conversation. And they're going to tell me what they really think. And they're going to tell me, you know, they're going to apologize to me when they do wrong, you know, and I've, I've seen that all growing up. And so of course I apologize when I'm wrong, you know, that kind of thing. So I really want to thank you all so much for your time. Uh, Joy and Karis, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank, thank you, Karis. Yeah, thank, thank Joy. You. I learned a lot from you, Karis. Oh, well, you thank as well. You. Thank you. <laughs> and for those of you who are listening, we want to thank you for joining us as well. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.